Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Well, this show, my friends, it's all about helping you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. And so about once a month or so, I bring guests onto the show who have some unique perspectives. As a matter of fact, I'm at a conference right now with other podcasters, and I know there are many, many of you that love real estate or Maybe you've been thinking about it and you're interested in it and want to know more. So it's something that I have a personal interest in and I'm getting more and more knowledge on it. And as such, I've been listening to some podcasts. And one of my favorites is a man who is here with me. He is a seasoned gentleman, to, to say it politely. He's done thousands of real estate deals, done many, many courses. And what I like about this guy is he is the real deal. He brings out some out-of-the-box thinking that I think will be really valuable to us today about how to invest in real estate, what to look for, whether you're dead broke like a resident or whether you are extremely wealthy and have a bunch of cash to put to work. So please help me welcome Larry Harbolt of The Larry Harbolt Show. Welcome, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I understand that most of the listeners are doctors of all different income levels. And so today I wanted to talk about ways to generate money from assets that pay for themselves. And uh, real estate's the number one item on my list. I've been doing real estate investing for 38 years. Most of the stuff I've done has been seller financing, where I pay the seller every month instead of getting bank financing or borrow uh, from individuals. So I've done that uh, most of my career because when I started, I had nothing like many of you. So I, I think that would be a good thing to talk about. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, Larry. And I think it'd be good just to give people a little bit of, of a background on you. We were talking before and you weren't always invested in real estate. So where are you from? You know, how did you get started in this journey? Okay. Well, I grew up in Southwest Michigan in a little town of 800 people. I was born into a dairy farm family and we had very little because we had three families living out of one little check that we got from the milk we sold, and it was hard to survive. Thank God we had the meat and we had the vegetables to survive on. But that little town of 800 people is where I got started. And at the time I got started, I was 31, and that was in the late 70s. So my Income at that time, I was uh, at the, I was a union pipe fitter. After I got out of dairy, I became a union pipe fitter, and I was unemployed a lot because of the Michigan winters. And so it's hard to feed six children, that, which I have, on an unemployment check. So I had to do something, and I thought I would get into real estate. Being a farmer, you know, real estate's a very important part of your life, and so I thought I would try the real estate. The only problem. I had no money, and I had horrible credit because I was unemployed a lot. So I was always late with payments, didn't have the money, but I wanted to get started. And I got started, but I had to be creative to do my deals because when you have no money, no access to money, nobody will lend to you. 
it, you know, and your credit stinks, it's really hard to get people to trust you. And so uh, I got started buying houses. And uh, what I did is I paid the seller. Instead of getting institutional financing or borrowing money from a friend, I would pay the seller every month until I'd paid off the entire property. So I think that that's an interesting idea, particularly for someone that doesn't have dough. And I'd love to know, step by step, if you can remember, the very first one that you did, the very first house or building that you purchased, how did you find the person? How did it come about? That particular property, my first deal, was a three-unit building. And a real estate agent told me about it. It was in another small town, population 450. Decided I would take a look at it. He told me to go and talk to the banker who had taken the property back in foreclosure. And so I went to talk to Mr. Petty. And Mr. Petty brought out a folder. Actually, he brought out a stack of, of folders on different properties they'd taken back in foreclosure. And as we talked, he knew at the time I was not only a pipe fitter, he knew I was also a licensed builder. So he showed me this three unit. And I said, well, what are you asking for it? And I have to understand, this was Michigan in the 70s. They wanted 60000 I said, oh, okay, uh, how much repair does it need? And he showed me a, an estimate from a local contractor, the amount of $8,000. And then he said, are you interested? And I said, well, I sure am interested, but I have a problem. And he said, well, what's that? And I said, I'm just 60000 shy of having enough to buy that property. He said something very strange. He said, that's not a problem. So then I said, well, I'm also 8,000 shy of having enough to do the work. I don't have any money. He said, that's not a problem either. What I didn't realize was it was the end of the year. These properties, they'd held on their books as non-performing assets. So what he did is he sold them to me on what were known as land contracts, where you pay the seller every month. You don't get the deed till the last payment's made. And then they escrowed $8,000 into an account. And as I got work done to the property, I would bring in receipts and pictures. They would release the money so I could pay the contractors. Those were nothing down deals. I found out that was a wonderful program. I bought more properties like that from different banks in different small towns where I lived. But when you have nothing, you have to get creative. Once the banks had no more of those foreclosures they wanted to sell, then I had to start dealing with the sellers. And when you're offering a seller something other than cash, you have to be creative in how you do it. You've got to find out what the sellers want, and then you've got to give them what they want. Negotiating with sellers is not something everybody has time or want to do. But that's how I got started. That's how I built my knowledge base. Perfect. I wonder, what do you think life would have been like if you didn't do that first deal? Would you have done something different? Uh, what do you think life would have looked like if that first one had fallen through for whatever reason? Well, you have to understand, in Michigan at that time, the only way that was the accepted way to make money was if you had a job in a factory or you were in construction. I would have just struggled along. I had to feed those kids, and I wanted to have a life for my family. So I would have done something, but the real estate has given me so much freedom over the years. It's been a struggle at times, but it's given me a lot of freedom. And so 
to get started in the business, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to take a lot of money. It doesn't take having to get financing if you know how to structure a deal to give you the maximum profit you can make on it. And that's what I teach all of my students how to do. So it sounds like finding the deals could be challenging, could be difficult perhaps. Um, And I know that you emphasize on your show, Larry Harbolt Show, to not go through realtors most of the time, to find deals through alternative means like uh, mailing people out, for example. So uh, I understand you have some letter templates and some stuff you provide to some of your students. And I'm wondering about for someone like a doctor that is really, really busy to lick stamps and put them on letters and or adhesive, I guess, now you don't have to lick them now. Um, number one, how would someone get started? So if you're or they're a resident or fellow that's listening out there, say, oh, this sounds kind of interesting, but they're really concerned about their time, obviously resources of mailing out. Where should they go? How should they get started with this? Well, first of all, you've got to know your marketplace. So no matter where you live, you have to know the properties in your area. And if you don't have time to do that, you need someone you can trust that knows your area that can give you quality advice. And as far as I do letters, my wife and I send out letters. Now, we've hired people to hand address the envelopes and the letter and mail them out. We provide the stuff. So if you don't have the time, you can hire people to do it. And one of the unique things that we did in the past, we hired an elderly lady to hand address our envelopes who had very shaky handwriting. And that was a blessing because that shaky handwriting, I guarantee my letters got opened when others got thrown in the trash because everybody wants to see what's in a letter from grandma. That was a blessing. But then she passed away, so we've had to find other ways of doing it. My point is, know your market, know the values in your area, or get with somebody that does. As far as working with real estate agents, I never look in the multiple listing service. Now, the reason being, to me, the MLS is like a bowl. In that bowl are little pieces of paper with property addresses on them. When those properties get listed, the people that do Tons of deals, they know their market, they have unlimited cash, they pick out the choice ones. So by the time we get there, we have leftovers. So as listed in the MLS, I don't think there's a good deal in there. Another point, the real estate agents, they're good salespeople, but many of them try to keep you away from the seller. I have to talk to the seller so I can find out what they need and create a deal that's good for my family. I hope it's good for their family until we come to an agreement. So it's very, very important you understand the the market that you want to go after. Some may want to go after single-family homes. Some may want to go after multiple units. But the critical part of all of it, you must know the numbers. And that's it, it's all based on numbers not on price. Price is less relative if you're going to pay the seller over time and you don't have to get an appraisal. And so I can give a little bit more 
than what the property may be worth if I can get an affordable payment that will allow me to rent it and cash flow it. Well, I think it might be helpful, Larry, to, to go through an example maybe of one thing that worked great and maybe one thing that just horribly went down the tubes of, of a time you invested in, in real estate. So maybe we could just uh, think on that for a second of, of a lesson you learned along the way that we can pass on to uh, us, our, the listeners, of what is something that went well that perhaps was your best deal, but on the other hand, what's something that just went horribly wrong with a property when you invested in it? Where did something go wrong? I have numerous stories. You have to understand, the first 16 years I was in the business, I learned from the trial and terror method. I had no education. I just went out and made mistakes. And that's how I learned. But from that, I now teach people how to avoid those mistakes. And that's, that's the blessing. You don't have to make the mistakes I made. So my best deal, I bought a property, and the people pretty much stuck on price. They didn't want to give me installment sale or pay them by the month. And because I wanted to keep it as a long-term rental, let's just use the number of they wanted 100000 They wanted 100000 cash. I didn't have 100000 cash. So I said, how about this? I'll give you... 120000 if you will take whatever I had figured is all I could pay for a payment. By giving them increase in price, that convinced them that they didn't need interest because they're going to get more money out of the property. But it allowed me to get in with no interest. Interest is a negative. If you pay interest, it can be good for a tax deduction. But it's also, to me, a negative. They got what they wanted, I got the property. You have to realize, I don't pay a penny for my rental properties. My tenants get up every day, go to work, earn money to give me in the form of rent to pay for my assets. That money gives me my lifestyle, and someday when they're all paid off, I'm going to look like a genius and have several million dollars worth of real estate. Someone else is paying for your assets and your lifestyle. That's the beauty. The worst deal I ever did, uh, I tried to block them out of my mind, but I bought a house that was a real, real, real dump, not knowing any better. And I put in a tenant without screening them that was horrible. And they ended up ripping every door off the hinge after I demanded they pay me rent. Can you imagine me wanting to get rent to make the payment on the property? They ripped off every door, piled it in the middle of the living room floor. They took a hammer and smashed in the wall between every stud in every room. They tore the treads off the stairway going upstairs. They went into the bathroom. They ripped the tub out and smashed it with a sledgehammer. They took the toilet and smashed it. The lavatory they smashed. They went in the kitchen, ripped all the kitchen cabinets loose, smashed them, and... Uh, that was a bad deal, but what they didn't realize, I should have thanked them when it was all over because they did half the demolition work I needed to do to fix up the property. But it, that was a horrible deal. I didn't make any money, and uh, it didn't benefit my family at all. But I've done several of those, and you know that's just part of not knowing what to do. 
what's on my mind later is I think about the, the opportunity of, of real estate and where where things might might be headed. Obviously, people need a place to live, right? So that real estate is, is good for that perspective. And as I look down the road at where, whether the economy is headed or whatever, as I look at real estate and whether it's owner financing or bank financing, whether you owe interest or not, you still are making a monthly payment to someone in some sort of case. And I come from the belief that there is good debt and bad debt, right? Bad debt in the form of consumer debt, especially, right? Student loans to me falls in that category because it's no longer tax deductible, which for a lot of physicians, that is the case. With real estate, certainly I think, especially the younger physicians that are listening, those that are residents and fellows and newly practicing physicians, taking risk, which what debt is, is a form of leverage or levering up. When you don't have a tenant, you end up owing money and you could put yourself in a hole potentially, particularly just starting out where you don't have a whole portfolio of properties. For me, I believe at some point that being totally debt-free, or at least mostly debt-free, is a good thing to do because you don't have to worry about collecting that rent check anymore. You just have minimal property taxes or whatever. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that because I know you're someone believing in owner financing. Is there a point that for older physicians that are listening that they should be deleveraged so they don't have the commitments to have to pay people every single month, whether it's the bank or whether it's the owner? Well, for those that actually have money and they're looking for a way to either generate more income but not necessarily be taxed on that income, one of the things that I do is when, when I'm talking to someone in a high income bracket, depending on what they paid for it, if it's paid off, no debt on it, I may offer them only what they paid for it because that's their base. So when I buy it, they're not going to have to pay capital gains because they sold it for what they paid for it. I have even offered twenty or $30,000 less than what they paid for it. So they took a loss that they can write off against other income in some instances. So it's how you structure your deal. Um, interest principle, it's, it's all the same. If you have the money and you can buy, you can get tax advantages the value of the properties go up in value if you buy correctly. You get to depreciate the properties. And so there's many advantages to owning the property. Uh, you don't have to have to deal with it yourself. You just need someone that will watch what you've got and do you a good job of taking care of it. Because you're, you're, if you're a doctor, you're established, you're busy. And this is a way to write off some of the debt that you've got. So, and the other thing I was going to say about offering below what they paid for it is no interest. In other words, let's do a simple deal. I'll give you a hundred thousand. I'll give you eight hundred a month for 125 months. Well, if they paid a hundred thousand for the property, they have no capital gains because it didn't go above what they paid for it, and there's no interest, which is taxable. So what I've done is I've taken a property where they might have had a big tax consequence and I turn it into no tax on that deal or minimal. They still have to 
you know, recapture the depreciation they've taken over the years, but you can you structure deals to do them intelligently. It, well, I want to just uh, revisit that question, though. Is is there a point that you say, you know what, I don't want to keep on having people lending me money, essentially, to where you have the obligation of having to pay them every single month, whether it's the bank or the individual? Is there a point where it's like, I don't want to take on this risk of trying to find tenants all the time and take the risk that they're not going to be paying me. Yes, yeah, so if if you have the money and you want to pay for the property, that's that's good. But you as a doctor have to decide what is the best use for that money. Is it better to pay all the cash where the cash is into an asset that is going to take time to sell or do you want to make the time payments, let the tenants pay for it? It's it's a personal choice. The only thing I'm going to say is you've got to know how to buy. You've got to, It's all in the numbers. It's not about, oh, gee, that sounds like a nice price. You have to actually do the numbers of the deal to make sure. That's what we do. We, we analyze deals for people. We let them know if they'll cash flow, if they'll pay for themselves, and we're realistic about it. So I think uh, knowing what you're going to do, what what is the best use of your money, if you don't want the debt, you don't want the risk, that's fine. But you got to realize if you put half a million dollars into a, a apartment complex, it may take you a while to get that money out if you need that money for anything. So let's... Um, got a few minutes left, Larry, and I think it'd be good to, to let people know about some of the out of box thinking that I think you have, which is great. So obviously you can buy a property, you can find a tenant, buy a foreclosure and fix it up. Those are some common ways people know, but I think one of the, the things that uh, you you have talked about in your podcast is the idea of wholesale versus retail, uh, the idea of essentially buying and selling the contract rather than buying and selling the property itself. So I'd love to, to spend a little bit of time on that because that's something I think a lot of physicians may not be aware of is you don't have to buy real estate and put a tenant in it. You could actually, if you find a good deal, sell that deal essentially to someone else without ever actually taking ownership of the property yourself. That's a good point. One of the things I teach all of my students when you go to someone's house to try to buy that property, if you can't make a deal with the seller to give you good terms at a, at a payment you can afford, I always tell them, then try to do a rent to own. And this is for those of you that may not have a lot of money but want to get started. If you can't buy it with terms that will allow you to cash flow it, I always suggest do a rent to own, a lease option. You lease it with a right to someday buy the property. At least it gets you in, in control. You're controlling the property with a lease. If they won't do a rent to own, I recommend trying to get a master lease with a right to sublease. So you, you go well armed with three different strategies. It's about cash flow. And you have to understand, if I can lease a property with a right to sublease, I may have to agree to pay the first $100 a month of any damage done, but my tenant's going to agree to pay the first 125 But my point is, if I can't buy it, I'm going to try to do a rent-to-own. If I can't get a rent-to-own, I'm going to try and just get a lease and make cash flow. With that lease, you have no taxes to pay. You have 
no insurance on the property. You don't have to fix the big things. You may take care of some small things like holes in the wall. But the big things, the owner still pays. And you can make a nice cash flow on that. That's a way of doing it many times when a seller is inflexible and you can't buy the property. And the other thing is, I believe that if you can't, uh, you don't. You find a property you really don't want to own. And this is one of the things I, I do. If I find a property that is just something I would never own myself, I'll put the property under contract. I get the seller to sign my agreement on our terms, and I will flip that contractor contract to another investor for a small amount of money, two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. That way I never have to take ownership. I believe you can make money from every property you drive past if you know what you're doing. So, you see, these are just simple things that a person can do. I don't have to have ownership if I have control of a property. Now, when I do my leases or my lease options, I should say, I will lease it for 12 months with a right to renew 10 or 12 or 15 more 12-month periods. The reason I do that they can only hold my feet to the fire for 12 months if I want to leave. I can hold their feet to the fire for 10 or 12 years by doing it that way. It's an excellent way of doing it. Gives you control with that lease. So to me, that that's if you don't have any money, that's an excellent way to get started. Very good. Well, I think each of these strategies probably get employed at different times. Um, so could could you just kind of really quickly run through that when you look for each of these things what should that look like when you when you're just talking about flipping a contract essentially to someone else when is a good time to look for that versus finding a place with a tenant you know in terms of the market itself because the market changes it's not always the same right prices go up and down maybe there's a smaller supply a larger supply whatever Um, how would you think about foreclosures for example when's a good time for foreclosures versus um looking for widows that husband has passed away and downsizing or whatever versus this idea of flipping the contract that you were just talking about well because i send letters out i never know what i'm going to get a response what kind of a property i'm going to get a response from a seller it could be a dump it could be a mansion you never know all i know is i target properties that are free and clear, no debt, and the people don't live in the property that own it. There's a reason for that. They're going to get killed in taxes. If they live in the property, any two of the last five years, IRS Section 121 says a single person can take up to 250 of their gain tax-free, and a a couple can take up to 500,000 of their gain tax-free. So if they live in it, I lose my negotiating benefit. If they don't live in it, they're going to get killed in taxes in the year of the sale. They've got to pay back all the depreciation. Then, after that, they're going to pay capital gains on any profit. I recommend if you're going to buy a property and you figure on selling it, rent it for 12 months and a day, and then you're into the long-term capital gains, which is, at this present time, it's at least 5% of your profit you're saving because you can always fluff it and buff it and then sell it. Something it took me 25 years to learn. Every house that you'll ever drive past, single family, of course, 
every house you're ever going to drive past is going to be one of four types of houses. It's either going to be houses in foreclosure. I don't do foreclosures. A lot of people do. But if I get a response from someone who has a house in foreclosure, they shouldn't have been on the list that I buy of names. But then there are houses, number two, that you don't want. Those are the ones I flip the contract to somebody that does. You know, for instance, a boarded-up house in a war zone. I don't want those. So who would I assign that contract to? Section 8 landlords. Section 8 landlords work those areas. They're comfortable in those areas. They don't mind being in those war zone areas. Perfect people. The third type of house, houses you can fix and sell retail. That's what most people want to do. Fix it up, make it pretty, sell it, make a lot of profit, hopefully, and pay a lot of taxes. The fourth type is long-term income properties. So if you understand that every house you'll ever look at is going to fall into one of those four categories, and you understand that each one is analyzed differently and hopefully purchased differently, you there's opportunity everywhere you look. See, I see people that think that the market's ready to tank. It's no good like it was in 2008. I see opportunity everywhere because I understand that no matter what you find, if you can negotiate a deal with a seller based on the numbers of the property, you can make a profit. It may may not be a fast profit, but it's going to be a long term. Long term is always going to be better. So you pay less taxes and you, you can a lot of times do better deals. And the beauty at my age, I'm still buying houses. I'm not buying houses for me. I'm buying houses that cash flow every month. So if something happens to me, my wife can enjoy that income stream as long as she lives. And then my kids and my grandkids might enjoy that income stream. So you can feed future generations with the properties you buy today if you buy them right and you don't get greedy and you don't want all your cash up front so you can pay the highest taxes known in this country. So I just think there's tremendous opportunity everywhere if you know what to look for and you know how to analyze and and buy those properties. So to sum up, it sounds like, let me know if I captured this right, that it really depends on the type of property in terms of how you think about it. If it's in a nice area where uh, it's it's a good, uh, maybe a modest home among a bunch of good homes, you might think about that could be a great long-term property um, to rent out. Uh, or alternatively, if, if it's in a bad area, you didn't necessarily know that, I guess, depending on the mailing list and where it is, maybe you might want to think about selling that contract, for example. So uh, that was great. Well, we're running out of time here. And um, I would love for you, Larry, just to, to let the listeners, um, all of us know two things. Um, number one, how would you define um, financial freedom? And then number two, how would you, what kind of advice would you give? Because doctors don't get business advice in medical school. They've been training their whole career to be amazing doctors. Uh, so what business lesson would you like to pass on to them? So two questions. First was, how do you, would you define financial freedom? And secondly, um, how would you recommend in terms of the best business advice you can give to us? Financial freedom. As the years have passed and I've learned, financial freedom is when you've got enough income coming in from your assets, whatever your assets are, 
to live a lifestyle that you're happy with. You pay your bills every month. You, you can go out to dinner. Once you pay all your bills, you're financially free. Wealth is what's created over time. In other words, when I buy an income property, someday when the tenants have paid it off is how I'm going to create my wealth. But financial freedom is when you've got enough income coming in from all of your assets to live the lifestyle that you want. And I think that's one of the things that people think that they have to have all this money and not necessarily so, depending on what your situation is. Some of you just starting out, you know, if you need information on how to buy houses, you got to get it somewhere. You don't go out and make the mistakes. If you have money and you're looking for apartments or, or whatever it is you're looking for and you're willing to buy and pay cash, you need somebody that's going to help you analyze the numbers and make sure you're buying houses that are going to make sense or buying apartments that are going to make sense. And that's something we do. We analyze for a lot of people, doctors, attorneys that want information. We analyze the deals. All we got to do is if we find it, we'll analyze the numbers and print out a report and give to you that you can run by your CPA and your attorney to know if it's a deal that you want. So, you know, if, if, you're interested and you would like us to talk to you, you can go to information or just info at LarryHarbolt.com and respond and we will get back to you if it's something that you're interested in learning more about. Be happy to help you anytime. So go to info at LarryHarbolt.com and you spell Harbolt H-A-R-B-O-L-T. Well, thank you, Larry, so much for being with us. It's an honor to have you here and learn from you. Uh, Larry has hours worth of material on his podcast, so I'll make sure to link that in the show notes so everyone can check that out, as well as the email that Larry mentioned. And well, my friends, there's only so much time, so I just want to encourage you to take a next step. If you're interested in real estate, get some education. Use resources like Larry to learn how to get this stuff done so you don't make stupid mistakes that many of us make when we're just trying things on our own. Larry pointed himself and just told me like I made <laughs> initially starting out. So my friends, I hope you got some tremendous value from this podcast today. And remember, we're all here to help you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Make sure to check in. We'll see you soon. Have a good one. <laughs>